No my hi my welcome to the panel on RNZ National just after four. This flu season set to be nasty. Long absence strains could hit children hard. What you need to know just after the news. The biggest improvement in the rights of New Zealanders living in Australia in a generation, says Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. A pathway to citizenship for Kiwis living there. We cross to a New Zealander who has long made his home in Australia. Also today, one Tapanui farmer says that National's new farming policies could undo some of the good work that has been going on in farms. And if I say the phrase, rally 20... What does that mean to you? My producer didn't know what it was. I said, no, it's not a COVID strain. (laughs) The Rally 20, stuff of dreams. Did you have one? And goodbye possums. Uh, Barry Humphreys leaves the building. Did you meet Barry Humphreys? Did you go to a Dame Edna Everett show? Tell us about it. And also Monday, that means the song whisperer. Here are the lyrics. You guessed the song. But my dreams... They aren't as empty as my conscience seems to be. I have hours, only lonely, my lover's vengeance. That's never free. Text me 2101. It's not Donald Trump. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) And as you heard right there, it's the one and only Cindy Michener, of course, uh, Director of Michener Associates uh, and Executive Recruitment Firm. Kia ora, Cindy. Hi, Wallace. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Also, David Slack, commentator, writes at more than a fielding on Substack. David, hello. Kia ora. Nice to see you both. Lovely to have you both in the studio. Now, tomorrow morning, many people will be waking up early, pinning medals to the left or the right of their chest, ready to commemorate Anzac Day. Medals are a source of pride and family history for many, but there are thousands left unclaimed by New Zealand World War II veterans. And the New Zealand Defence Force is encouraging families to collect medals on behalf of their relatives. With us is Matthew Buck. He's a New Zealand Defence Force senior historian. Kia ora, Matthew. Uh, Kia ora, and um, good afternoon, Wallace. I was really interested in the story and so surprised that there are so many medals left unclaimed. Is it really around, what did I read, 22,000? Well, yes, that is our best estimate. Um, And that's, uh, we worked that out because there's one battalion that we were able to look at very, very closely, which was 28 Maori Battalion. Uh, We were able to do that because um, family members over many years um, produced a really comprehensive list of who they were. And so we looked at every single file, and that showed that 85% of um, 28 Mara Battalion men had claimed their medals by 2019. And if you were to extend that 15% unclaimed that was left to the rest of the armed forces, it comes to around 22,000 men. Why, Matthew, were these medals, or so many medals, unclaimed? Well, it's an extremely interesting question. Um, the government decided to issue them um, un- unengraved without the names and service numbers of the people who'd earned them on them. And you had to apply for them in order to get them. This was quite different to what had happened during, after the First World War, where they were posted out automatically and every single one was engraved. So the most common reason that veterans gave for not wanting them was because they they didn't think it was right to apply. They felt it was a bit vainglorious to apply for your own medals. 
and because they were unengraved. Um, and that, that certainly is the main reason that they were public about. But we think there may have been other cultural reasons as well that, um, that made veterans reluctant. Yeah. Uh, hi, Matthew. It's Cindy here. So everybody got a medal. That's a, it was a, it's a service medal. And did, and did everybody know that they were eligible for the, for the s- service medal? I think at the time, yes. I don't think there would have been any doubt. It was well publicised. And um, there'd been a long wait for them. It took um, five years after the end of the war, basically, to receive all the medals in New Zealand, because they were all made in the UK, um, and then to finally make them available. And there'd been numerous public debates before then about and complaints about people wanting to get their medals before this, before they were finally issued. So it was extremely well publicised and well-known to everyone. So do you think maybe medals are often associated with heroic activity, you know, heroism, etc.? You know, you, you get the medal for doing something outstanding, and there might have been a little bit of reticence around um, applying for that medal just for being there? I think that's correct. And it's quite interesting that there was a very different attitude towards gallantry medals, as they call called, medals right. of bravery. Um, soldiers who were awarded those usually had them given to them while they were still serving. Um, there were only comparatively few that were left to be um, distributed after the war. And veterans certainly seem to have no problem with having and possessing and wearing those. Um, but it's very common to find, in fact, that um, people with gallantry awards would only wear them and never applied for their campaign medals oh. or service medals, as you called them earlier. David. Matthew, is there, there's really no way now of identifying who might not have claimed, I take it, then. You, you, you've simply done a mathematical calculation. Well, um, in principle, it's possible, but we'd have to go through hundreds of thousands of military service files to find out who, which ones had been issued and which ones had not. Mm. Um, so the way it tends to work, um, because really it's the only feasible way, is that we have to wait for people to apply. Um, that will cause the service record to be inspected. And if it's found that the medals have not been issued, then um, there's an opportunity to issue them at that, that point. I suppose there's a possibility here too of building up um, a public website of record yeah. given that there's an awful lot is steadily being brought together um, that it seem, that seems to have a, create a lot of interest. And I'm wondering, is there some kind of a momentum developing here that might like to see something more formal pulled together that identifies who all was where and doing what? Um, yes. Um, it's But you're dealing with very large numbers of people. Mm. Um, so to give you an example... Um, for 28 Murray Battalion, um, that was an organisation that was about 800 strong at any one point. But well over 3,500 people actually served in that single battalion. Um, if you spread that right across the armed forces, you'll find that it is in fact incredibly complex in the way that people move through the military system and the units that they serve with. They can transfer um, between units, they can transfer between services, go from the army to the air force, for example. So, um, Matthew, have you so, have you thought about doing some sort of 
publicity around it or sort of reaching out, you know, through through the media. Well, that's what they're doing now. Yeah. You can actually, uh, uh, can't you, Matthew? You can apply to get that medal. Yeah, but 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 I mean, you know, not not perhaps advertising, but but right. making a bigger stance around, you know, making a bigger noise about the availability. Well, I mean, it's exactly why we did this research and why we published our report on this was to once again bring this to people's attention. Um, the fact that there were so many unclaimed metals was very well known um, a few decades ago. Um, it was well canvassed in the press during the 1950s, for example, um, okay. during the 60s and even into Gosh. the 70s. Um, most of the veterans were around, of course, um, and so it was, it was extremely well known to them. Um, it is the case, though, that today that uh, the memory of this has faded, and that was one of the things that prompted our report. So, yes, uh, Judith in Tauranga says, my uncle and dad both said, if the government wants to give me a medal, it can send it to me. Uh, <laughs> and another one here, Matthew, my granddad apparently didn't want his because it wasn't signed. Um, so while you are here, uh, and for those whānau who want to get access to those medals, what can they do? Well, it's it's really quite simple. Um, all all you need to do is to apply to the New Zealand Defence Force Medals Office, um, asking whether or not your ancestors' uh, medals were issued. Um, and if they were not, then you will be issued with them. Um, the easiest way to find them um, is to Google New Zealand Defence Force medals. And that will guide you through to the address to write to or the uh, email to send. There's an application form which simply asks you to detail whose medals it is you're asking for and, a look, and some basic biographical information about them, such as their date of birth. Um, this is so we don't get all the John Smiths mixed up and things like that. Nice to have you on the program, Matthew. Thank you very much for that. Really interesting uh, topic. That's Matthew Buck, uh, New Zealand Defence Force Senior historian. Uh, all right, you're on the panel on RNZ National uh, and let's jump into this part of the show, if you're new to it, where uh, the panellists speak from their heart, a topic that is of absolute and utmost importance to them. They are speaking Good grief, Wallace. from their soul. <laughs> this is such the, a setup. The, <laughs> the, the Wrong up, day, mate. Opening up their heart uh, and it's it's a real. They they've thought about it all day. <laughs> Cindy Michener, I've been thinking. Yes, well, thank you for that because I've been thinking about diamonds, um, and in fact about the coronation and all the, day. Yeah, yeah, all day and the crowns and diamonds. But that sort of segued me into um, what I found out about my Mother's Day present, which is in fact not diamonds, um, but it's a a really fabulous idea. Um, World Vision allow you to buy a gift, which is a, a farmyard animal, which you don't actually get. It's a bit yes. like the diamonds; you don't get it. Um, but the, you know the villages in Africa, etc., do. And I found out today that in fact that's what I'm getting for Mother's Day, and I thought it was a really great idea, a lovely idea, from World Vision. But back to the diamonds now. The diamonds in the crowns for the coronation are quite controversial. So Camilla, now can I just tell you how come I know all this? I clicked on one royal thing yes. on TikTok or something, and 
all of a sudden I have thousands of royal things. The Koh-i-Noor diamond, the big one you want to talk about, that's not being used. No, it's not being no. used because it's too controversial. Um, it's 105 carats, how about that? And it's going to be put in a display of... I mean, I don't know what they're calling it, but I, I mean, I'd be calling it sort of ill-gotten gains. So the Koh-i-Noor diamond, should it be given back? The countries... That's the, that's the key. That should the, it be given back? Yeah. All right. Pakistan, India... What do you think? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, is it is it part Make of history? Call. Make a call. You know, I think it should be given back. There you go. Um, David? Yeah, would, you, would you be giving the Koh-i-Noor back? I'm, I'm keen to see some of that. It, I, I, it, you know, where, that, where do it you does, stop? You, I, know, I know that's the argument, and yet... Any kind of gesture you make, I think, is helpful in acknowledging the the depth of the wrong. You know, the the um, the whole idea of empire and just going out and helping yourself to another nation's wealth from a ten-year-old boy. Them. Remember, yeah, 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 the East yeah. India Company um, yeah. took the Kohinoor off the ten-year-old heir to the Sikh Empire. I rec- I gave re- it to Queen Victoria. I really recommend the Give Dal- me that Dal- diamond. The Dal Rimple book about uh, the East India Company. That's a fascinating exploration of uh, just just uh, how morally bankrupt so much of that was. Very interesting book. Yeah. The might of the East India Company. All right. Very good. Thank you, Cindy. Do you want to go back to the crowds? No. No. Uh, <laughs> David Slack, I've been thinking. I'll make this quick. <laughs> you, you misrepresented me totally. I, I, did, I did speak from the heart about the uh, that whole uh, pedestrian crossing business. I can do that again if you want. But this one is just something... One and a half minutes. Yeah. All right. For I've been thinking I'd like to endorse this piece of wisdom from a book I've not read but just might when it comes out next week entitled Excellent Advice for Living. Wisdom I Wish I'd Known Earlier by Kevin Kelly. And his maxim, uh, he's got about 150 of them, but I, this one just leapt out at me, is don't ever work for someone you don't want to become. And I think that's mm. bloody good. I think we should go the, back to the diamonds. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to think about that. Don't ever yeah. work for someone you, you don't, don't want to want become. To become. Now, shouldn't, sometimes, shouldn't it be the opposite? Um, you should work for someone you don't want to become. Well, no, I, I reflected on this and realised I've worked for both of those kinds of people. One I very much wanted because to become learned. and one I didn't. You and learned. some of those I didn't want to become. I look back now, 20 and 30 years later, in horror at some of the things they did. And yes, and yes, that's instructive, but it's also traumatic horror. And Read the Robert well, Maxwell you, you, book. Yeah. I'm reading the Robert Maxwell yeah. story. Gosh, listen to you both. So many thoughts this afternoon for a Monday. You're From on the, the heart, pa- Wallace, you asked <laughs> us and we dug deep. You're on the panel on RNZ National, David Slack, Sydney Munchner, much to discuss uh, from 4pm to 5pm right here on RNZ National.